The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today I've got NXT champion Drew McIntyre. Drew returns to TIJ three years after his first appearance, which came just days after his release from WWE. And what a story he has. From that day to his triumphant return as the champion of NXT. He's talking about forging his way on the indie scene from WCPW and ICW in the UK to TNA here in the States and all the other indie promotions he wrestled for around the globe. He's talking about how he finally got back to WWE and the circumstances that led up to his return, including passing up a big offer from TNA and a possible chance to wrestle in Japan with the Young Bucks. Right. Drew's also working and training with Shawn Michaels. What are you kidding me? And we'll share some of the big lessons he's learned from Shawn. Despite having uh, 17 years of experience already in the business, he's still learning. He's back in the WWE after being fired three years ago. And what a story it is. It's a great conversation coming up with a really good dude. I couldn't be happier for Drew and his return to WWE. And I'm looking forward to his move to the main roster, which I'm sure is coming very, very soon. So, Drew is on the way, and so is my fourth book. No is a four-letter word. It comes out August 29th, this Tuesday, but you can pre-order it now at my Amazon store, amazon.com slash shop slash I am Jericho. The book is the 20 principles of how I made my dreams come true, and it's going to help you achieve your dreams as well uh 20 principles of how you can make your goals and dreams come true pre-order it now and if you haven't downloaded the new podcast one app what are you waiting for man i mean come on just hit up the app store or google play download the app and start watching all the great 360 vr videos there's over a thousand of them on the app you'll feel like you're right there in the studio with your favorite podcast and the app also lets you interact with other podcast fans and access behind the scenes content very very fruit and there's no other podcast app like this available so download it get to exploring all the cool special features and uh, check that out now 
And we are about to hit the road with Fozzie for another round of dates on the Judas Rising Tour here in the United States of America. America, man. We're going out with Gemini Syndrome. What a great band they are. And the Stir next month, starting September 26th. Take the last train to Clarksville uh, in Tennessee at the Warehouse. Fort Wayne, Columbus, Detroit, Libertyville, Janesville, uh, Wisconsin, Buffalo, Wilkes-Barre, Worcester, Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington, North Carolina, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. All of these great shows uh, happening uh, next month. It's going to be a great rock and roll party. And also then we're going to Europe. Uh, wow, there's a lot of shows. October 27th, Birmingham, Dublin, Belfast, Chester, Manchester, London, Sheffield, Glasgow, Newcastle. And then we go across the pond, Amsterdam, Aschaffenburg, Pratown, Switzerland, Roncade, Italy, Rome, Vienna, Munich, Essen, Hamburg, and Gank, Belgium. Wow, I can't wait to go to Bank, Gank, Belgium. Uh, it's, it's, I heard it's like the greatest city, better than Las Vegas. Uh, and we're doing VIP meet and greets and pre-show mini concerts on all those dates. It's the best VIP meet and greet uh, you can get in the business. We will play some songs uh, for you and the other VIPs. That you haven't heard. We'll take your requests. We'll do uh, whatever you want. You want us to play like a, a Kajagugu song? We'll, we'll do it. Who cares? The Fozzy VIP is one of the best. Go to FozzyRock.com and check out the VIP experience and come rock with us. And speaking of rock, Judas. Uh, we're going to play it for you right now. Right here on Talking Jericho. It's Judas by Fozzy. Personified, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Run away. I'm cold like December snow. I have carved out this soul made of stone, and I will drag you down and sell. Losing the light in search 
on YouTube in just four months. Thank you so much for all of you who have checked out the song and who have made it the big hit that it is. Uh, super excited to have the huge hit song, Judas by Fozzie, and we attribute all that to you. So thank you so much. And uh, NXT champion Drew McIntyre is coming up after I talk about one more tour Diamond Dallas Page, DDP UK Tour. Dallas is bringing his hilarious stories, over-the-top motivation, Q&A in person, and DDP Yoga Live workshops to the UK. Starting September 8th, you'll be able to meet Dallas. Uh, you can take a selfie with him if you want. Have him sign an autograph. Join the inspiration meets perspiration. Experience Dallas's infectious energy for yourself. Learn how to do his complete workout program. Go to ddpuktour.com. Dot com to reserve your spot and get all the details. That's ddpuktour.com. He's also doing DDP yoga workshops in Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, London, and Dallas. If Dallas isn't going to a city near you anytime soon, get the DDP Yoga Now app and get on track to healthier living. You know what DDP Yoga has done for me in my career, saved my career in so many ways. I've got the DDP Yoga Now app on my phone so I can just open the app and do a workout wherever I am. There's over 150 workouts on the app as well as the opportunity to do live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia. And if DDP Yoga can help you get in shape and live a healthier life, I'm telling you, you got to check this out now. Dallas has thought of everything because he truly cares about all of you. The Sexy Beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. He wants everyone to live a healthier life, meet all of your fitness goals, and his DDP yoga program is great for anyone and everyone, any age, any skill level. And with the app, you track your progress, get nutrition tips, recipes, all the motivation you need to stick with the program and stay on your game plan. And Diamond Dallas Page has made it so easy for you, that's right, you, looking at you, to get on board his life-changing program. Take advantage of the tremendous deal that Dallas is offering. He's giving you 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDPY merch, swag, clothing. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. It's time to own your life. Get in the best shape of your life physically and mentally and do it now. 
ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. HBO's Game of Thrones is back for its seventh season. Winter is finally here, and so are the White Walkers. Will the seven kingdoms of Westeros survive the threat from the north, or will they fall in the looming war for the Iron Throne? After you're done watching an episode, join the discussion here on the Game of Thrones After Show on Podcast One. Every week, our hosts discuss each episode in detail, from shocking twists to fan theories, as the series chronicles the violent struggle among the realm's noble families for ultimate power. Join the fray every week on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Talk is Jericho. Okay, so this is a very monumental moment, because three years ago? Yep, just under three years ago, I believe. We sat in this very studio. And you had just been released by the WWE. I'm talking about Drew McIntyre. You Drew McIntyre again. Hello, everybody. After you lost it. And you had just been released. And you were vowing that someday you would get back into the WWE. And here you are as the NXT champion. How does that, how does that feel for you? Uh, there's absolutely no word that can possibly describe how I feel. Like right now, it's pretty cool that this was the first thing I did like once I was released from WWE. You said he wanted to have me on the show. You know, I got to, to say my piece, and the, I guess the final soundbite was, I'll be back. Right. I just got to go out and do my thing, and I went out, I did my thing. It worked out pretty good, and I'm back, NXT champion, and we're back in the studio. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, crazy. Because, that's right, because you, you had come in just a couple days or maybe a week after being released Yeah, or it was literally within the first week. Yeah. The first appearance I did was in Scotland, maybe two weeks after. I was released, and that kind of got some buzz. So you got me going. The Scottish appearance got me going. Then I won the Evolve title in my first match and started rolling from there. But this is where it all began. This, it's it's so amazing to me. And I, I know you know you came in and you had a brave face, and you were you know obviously a little bit shaken up. But how did you really feel when you got let go? Um, I mean, honestly, initially I was like, wow, okay, you know, this is the first time I have not had my life you know set. This is the way it's going to go. Like I was in school right up to age twenty-one. I was signed, which was always my goal, to come to WWE 21. So I moved from my home in Scotland, and WWE became my home for eight years. So I never really had a chance to, you know, uh, grow up, I guess, or live outside the nest or outside of a of a system and following, you know, specific, this is what you do, this is where you have to be. So it was the first time I was like, okay, I'm in charge for the first time ever. This is a little bit scary, but there's one thing that I, that I know that I've always done is wrestling. So... I'm going to implement everything I've ever learned. We're living in a social media age. I think I've got a good game plan. I think I can change the way, you know, people do things once they're gone from WWE, not just flying under the radar hoping to come back one day, but to build their name. And I had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do. It's just that nobody had really done it before. So <laughs> I was hoping to implement that and just people believing in me, giving me a platform. And as the buzz grew, you know, keeping giving me those platforms, it was up to me to, to score the goals. So, you know, it was scary initially, but as I went along, the confidence grew and grew, and I started seeing other people following suit and was just, you know, proud to start to build that model for people to follow in the future. You mentioned that you came in, like, at 20 years old or 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, I was signed at 21. So, and you mentioned, like, we were talking today, your, your car broke down, whatever uh. it was, and uh, you said that you learned to drive here in the States and Seamus taught you how yeah, to yeah. Drive. I learned to drive in Tampa, Florida. They gave me, gave me a license. I don't know much I should say. They might take away my license. But <laughs> I've had it for like nine years now. You can't take it away. But basically, uh, yeah, I got it in a day, and I had about three lessons in my life at that point. How did Seamus, what did Seamus teach you? Uh, well, basically, like Wade Barrett was doing the theory test on the computer, and I looked at the questions, and I went, this doesn't look so hard. I'm just going to take this. So I took it, got 100%. I was like, <laughs> wow. 
okay. Like the questions were like, is this really red? And I was like, this is, this is a trick question. <laughs> like, I don't know the trick. I'll just say yes. And I was like, okay, that was pretty easy. And then they told me, you know, you got to drive the car around a little bit. So Seamus took me out to the car park, showed me how the automatic cars work. And it was like playing a video game. So I, sure enough, I took the test later that day and passed also. <laughs> they gave me a license. I called my dad and went, I have a driving license. He went, oh, good for you, son. You've been taking lessons I didn't know about. No. Seamus just took me to the car park for an hour and now I have a license. I'm in charge of a killing machine. <laughs> it makes you kind of scared for the uh, future of America, how easy it is to get a It's been nine years license. now. I learned on the job. Much like wrestling, I learned on the job, except, you know, you can kill more people with a car. <laughs> but starting out so young, I mean, like you said, you come into the business, and, and, and we talked about this before, when when you're in the WWE and you get the big, you know, the, you're the, whatever Vince called you, you're the chosen one, you're the future of the company. And, you know, I'm sure at 21 years old, I know what I was like when I was 21, you think it's going to last forever. And it's like, he said I was the guy, so therefore I'm set for life sort of thing. Is that how, kind of how you thought at, at the time? Uh, yeah, when you never consider, like, the ending. You're just going to live in the moment. Right. Um, I, I could, when I was 21, when I got signed, I came over, I just turned 22, I went to OVW for the last six months, and uh, the writers happened to be there in my first week I was in America. And then I was put on TV on SmackDown with Dave Taylor in my third week in America. I was like the fastest guy ever on TV. Mm. Um, and I remember when I was in the ring working one of the, the major brothers. Um, that's uh, Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And when the referee came over to me and was like, work the hard cam, kid. And I remember kind of turning to him and go, what the hell is a hard cam? <laughs> like, I work all four sides, brother. But, you know, they realized I, wa- I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't quite ready at the time. So, uh, you know, they kept me on the road and I was working uh, with all the talent, trying to get me up to speed off TV. And then eventually, six months later, when OVW closed, myself and Wade Barrett and a few of the guys were moved to FCW. And I remember you describing going from like WCW to WWE. It was like going from black and white to color. I was, was like, this awesome. is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Florida, the nice weather, you know, everyone's in shape. And, you know, this, it's a good vibe around here. It's not like being in deliverance. <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be. And I really learned at FCW. And then it came time for the, you know, the opportunity that I got as the chosen one thing. And I was like, okay, you know, this is just normal. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be, which is obviously not the case and you know you really find out who you are like when you get a huge opportunity and it doesn't work out and you uh, you know like come down quite a bit and you've got to you know ask yourself you know do you believe in yourself enough to keep going to keep pushing through and I'm hoping that you know my journey and my story is an example to everybody out there it doesn't have to be in wrestling whatever you do that if you believe hard enough enough that you can do absolutely anything and isn't it crazy how, you know, the, the other champion or, you know, three champions in the, in the three companies, you're one of them, and Jinder Mahal is oh, the amazing. other one, your old partner from 3MB, who also got fired the same day you did. Same day, and he's got kids. Wow. Does he have kids? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I love Jinder's oh, yeah, story. Oh, uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh, he's amazing. Yeah. He cracks me up. But, uh, yeah, Jindal's story is uh, great. You know, when I left, as I say, I had a very clear plan in my head. I knew exactly what I was going to do. Like, you know, he wasn't quite the same when it came to wrestling. He right. spoke about this. And I've said he's, I'm not speaking out of turn. No, he, spoke, he was on, the, on my yeah. show and saying this, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, he wasn't too sure. He's a smart guy. He had his business, um, you know, areas going. He had his real estate going. He was talking about opening, like, a franchise or something. But, you know, the wrestling he was just doing here and there. He wasn't pushing to get to the places with Buzz like I was doing. And, you know, he wasn't too sure. And it sounded like he was pretty much going to give up, which sucks. I remember we had a meal one day and he was talking about it. He'd you know, not been working out as hard, wasn't looking as good as he usually did. And then I was, you know, feeling down about it. And we're talking to my wife about it. Like, man, this sucks. And then just one day he just started going, screw this. He started busting his ass. He told me he got the call. Was it good for you? He told me, you know, he'd made some changes in his life. He was working hard. Then he cut out the alcohol. 
and he became the most insane body guy of all time. And I trained with him, and he was working his absolute arse off, and it was so cool to watch him push himself so hard. And when he won that title, I was there that day. And I assure you, when the three count happened, I hit the biggest 3MB air guitar of all time and <laughs> popped all the boys in catering. But I was just so over the moon, and I ran like the ultimate warrior from the catering all the way to the gorilla. I was the first guy there waiting for him when he got back. Oh, that's great. What were you, were you there? Just uh, We were taping the, uh, the takeover in Chicago the night before. Oh, I see. That so, was uh, right. I was on the, the TV taping before the takeover, and uh, we stayed the next day for the, for the pay-per-view. So I told Randy and uh, Jinder, do not tell me the result. I want to just react how I react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally almost hit the roof. How, how bad does he Slater feel right now? <laughs> uh, I told him already, like I've told uh, like everyone. I told Hunter, I told Heath. I was like, right, Heath, it's up to you now. Just get jacked. <laughs> It's as simple as that. <laughs> well, he's the only one that didn't get fired, at least, though. Oh, yeah, so exactly. going for him. <laughs> yeah, Which so is so got funny. That if you take the three members of 3MB and put them up, don't know anything about wrestling, just look at the three. Who are the two that get fired and who's the one that stays? He's not the one I would choose. <laughs> uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that. But, I mean, so, so let me ask you this. Because uh, you, you were, from the moment you, you, you got let go to this point in seeing you, I never did not see you. You were always working somewhere and working at the highest of levels, wherever it was that you went. So what was your game plan? Like you mentioned that you were just about ready to go to, to Scotland because there's a big scene in the UK right now for independent wrestling, correct? Yeah, it's huge. Um, I could see the, you know, the Scottish scene was starting to grow and the UK scene in general was starting to grow. And I thought that's the first place I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to ICW and Saint Championship Wrestling. I was their first ever champion, and they got some great buzz going. And I knew I had to get my mission statement, who I was, and what my plans were. And that's exactly uh, where I was going to go. So I contacted the promoter, Mark Dallas, who's the one guy who didn't message me. The day I was released, I must have got a message from every promoter in the world. Really? Everyone that I know, yeah. saying, when am I going to book you? He was the one guy who didn't message me, and I messaged him saying, yo, you're not going to contact me about doing the show? And he was like, you know, you're my friend. I thought you might be upset losing your job. <laughs> the one guy who didn't contact me. And I went, well, here's the deal. I want to come to ICW first. So he mentioned he had a show in a couple of weeks. So obviously he can't do that. And I told him, why? Why can't I do that? That's exactly what I want to do and what nobody will expect. So we made a plan to sneak Why did he in. think that you couldn't do it? He just thought I wouldn't do it because it just happened. It was oh. fresh. I wanted some time or whatever because I'd not been nonstop working my entire life. I'd never had any time sure. off. But when you get let go, like, are you allowed to work wherever you want the next day? So? Yeah, yeah. Like, not aside, like, say, American TV. Okay, gotcha. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Um, so, yeah, so we started talking about a plan and, um, you know, keeping it a big secret. Nothing's ever secret anymore. So we kept it between literally himself, myself, his missus, my wife, and that's literally all it knew at first. And then they booked my ticket I had to come in. I snuck into the country with, like, a hoodie and a hat on and... Head in my dad's home with the, the blinds closed, playing Guitar Hero for three days with my buddies, sneaking to the gym once a day. But that's the thing, too. When you go to Europe, they don't even check your passport half the time. You so, can't oh, yeah, there. yeah. But the problem is, like, Scotland's such a small place, and I'm a giant. There's only five million of us, so I like, can't really walk anywhere without anyone knowing who I am. But no one noticed, though. So, like, oh, no, like, I got through the security, and I think there was one guy who maybe I asked for a picture, like, at the security desk. Mm -hmm. um, so I got past that, got to my dad's, hid there. I um, snuck in the car, drove to the building the day of the show. Uh, the BBC were filming a documentary just starting that day. Um, so they caught me coming in the back door and I hid downstairs. And there's a, a famous comedy show in Scotland called Still Game. You know, the guys there were doing a surprise appearance halfway through the show. And they're like huge celebrities in Scotland. I heard their reaction from the basement. I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to top this. My return's going to be crap and everyone's going to chant 3MB or something. And right. I was all worried about it. And, uh, you know, when the, uh, the time came and the lights, you know, went off and I ran to the rink and back on, it was one of the craziest feelings I've ever had. The reaction was unbelievable. And, 
you know, I spoke my mind, told everybody my plans, which were basically this little company, you know, can become a huge thing, take over the world. The UK scene is going to show the world what we're all about, and I'm going to show everybody the real Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre, which might have sounded insane coming from the 3MB guy, but I believed it. And, you know, as time went on, we really showed everybody the UK scene what it was all about. There was 1,500 people there that night, and at the show this past November, we grew to 8,000 people in under three years in the biggest independent show of all time. And Finn Balor was on the show hitting me with a pipe and stuff. And <laughs> everyone talks about the UK scene. And we've grown together just because the unbelievable level of talent now. Because I assure you, before I got signed with WWE, there was nobody. There was like me, Seamus, Wade. We're all at the same level teaching each other. And when we left, everybody just kept going, getting better, created all these great characters, great abilities. Everyone's so different. We were all the same. And it was just ready. It just needed someone to... I guess, kick it in the arse and just use the name value and buzz I had at the time to really get it going. And people like yourself and, you know, I remember Mick Foley at the time and everybody putting my name out there and putting that video out there at the time really helped get me going. I can't thank you all enough for it. Yeah, because I, I, you know, we laugh about the 3MB thing, but that was more of just a placeholder. Like, that was not who Drew McIntyre was as a performer. I mean, obviously, A, you are a giant, so to speak. Big guy, good-looking guy, good work. Sometimes in the business... The longevity of the business, if like for me, 27 years doing this, sometimes you are playing a character or doing something that you don't really want to do. I was the co-intercontinental champion with China for about three months, which was the absolute dumbest thing. But I remember enjoying that. Yeah, you enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I didn't. But what are you going to do? So when, when you I know you probably had a little bit of a complex. It's like, here's a 3MB guy. If I'm in Scotland and Drew McIntyre Galloway shows up, after just being let go, I'm going, holy shit, this is great. And I think, like you said, that was one of the, the reasons why the, the UK scene was kickstarted because it's huge now. There's so much stuff going on in the UK and so many great performers coming out of the UK, going to New Japan, going to NXT. I mean, they've started their own UK company just to sign up the guys so they wouldn't go anywhere else, correct? Yeah, it's crazy to watch the growth, just to watch the level it was at when I got back. And mm-hmm. then, um, I, I watched literally traveling the whole world. I was the busiest wrestler for the past three years. Like, again, I have no idea how my wife stayed with me. I was never home. <laughs> but like, I was literally on the road the whole time. I was yeah. working myself as much as possible. Well, you, I, you had a mission. Yeah, I was literally just obsessed. It was just blind. Like, this is what I want to do. So, and I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. It's my passion. I love it. I didn't you know, regret it for one second as much as sore as I was, as tired as I was. I just kept pushing and pushing. And as time went on and I watched all the different scenes across the world grow, I saw like the UK scene. I was telling everyone, you know, and the promos and that, you know, like, that's one thing I've learned to do over the past few years. I'm more comfortable in the microphone yeah. and I've learned just to be myself and relax. Mm-hmm. But I was just telling everybody, this is the best scene in the world. And I'm not just saying it because that's what you say when you're the good guy on a microphone right now. I legitimately have been around the world. I'm traveling around the world. I see all the scenes everywhere. It's growing right now. But the UK scene was growing and growing and growing like I've never seen and was just unbelievably proud to watch it get to that level and for the whole world to get eyes on it now that WWE is involved. The guys are really just unreal. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. So let's talk about, like you mentioned, the Insane Championship Wrestling in Glasgow, which did have the 8,000 people at the same 
same arena where the WWE yes. plays. I don't. How how did it get so big? Because for, like just for me, for Gla- Glasgow is one of my favorite cities in the world. It's a great wrestling town. It's the best Fozzie town. We we have a show there in October that's almost sold out already at the Cat House or the Garage, one of the two, whatever. It's 900 people almost sold Both out. Both beside each other. Yeah, I think it's one, of whichever the bigger one is. But it's like, you know, it's such a great town. But what is it about about ICW that's that's able to draw 8,000 people for a show? Uh, well, if you've seen the crowd, if you've not seen the crowd and you're listening, you know, just check it out. Like, uh, when I speak to ICW fans, they're not all necessarily wrestling fans. Mm. Or ICW fans, it's gotcha. such a unique show. Like, it's like a smorgasbord of professional wrestling. You've got the guys who work. You've got the character storylines. There's a little something for everybody, and the crowd are so interactive and part of the show. I always said we should really have a little roster spot on the website page for the crowd because they're such a part of the show, <laughs> right, and they right, feel right, like they're right. part of the show, and they feel like this is their product, and it is their product, and they're very vocal what they like and what they don't like. And everybody just kept, I guess, word of mouth. This time went on. We got more exposure in the papers. We had the documentaries on the BBC. So more people got to see about it, hear about it. And it just grew and grew and grew. And it really just caught on like wildfire. And to see the crowd just doubling and tripling and quadrupling was pretty unbelievable. And it was just a testament to all the, you know, the guys and girls there who just believed in themselves so much and worked their ass off. The biggest compliment I got from any of them eh, when I was there was just when I arrived, it felt like, well, we can really do something here. And they wanted to step up their game and, you know, we're willing to come to me and just kind of listen to what I've learned. Because I've been with WWE for that amount of time. I'd learned how to do a TV show, now to present a TV show. And they were right there just like, what can we do, Drew? How are we going to get better? And we all worked together to do that. That wasn't anything to do with me. That was all of us working as a team that made it the biggest independent show of all time in November. Who were some of the other guys uh, on the shows that, that you liked over there to work with? Okay, uh, singling people out because I always miss people out. <laughs> Uh, I love the name Jack Jester. Jack Jester, yeah, he's right out there. I, I, I don't know anything about him other than you, you would send me promos from time to time yes. of your stuff that I enjoyed watching, and I would just love Jack Jester, just the name of that sound. Oh, yeah. cool. I, I mean, him and I go way back. I yeah, yeah. Since uh, we're about 16. Oh, yeah? Yeah, way, way back. I think I, think I got started drinking. I probably remember his life. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like when I returned, the night I returned, it was to save him from the evil faction, <laughs> the, the NAK, and then I threw him off a stage at the, the end of it, once we had a big emotion return, we're crying, hugging each other, and then I tossed them off the stage. It was a double, yeah, you showed up as the big baby face and then turned completely heel. Like, oh, no, they minutes. still cheered it. Like, and that, that's what, you know, like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's gave him some fire as well for the feud. But my whole thing was basically, I felt like he became stagnant, and I know he's better than that, and I wanted uh-huh. to light a fire in his ass, which I did, which would in turn would help grow the company. So that was my whole thought process and the storyline. I loved watching Thank some you. of your promos, too, where it's like, uh, I'm going to f- murder you or whatever you're saying like yeah, you yeah. can't say that I you're know. not literally gonna murder him but just like swear well sometimes if you've ever worked with me sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh so, and so when you, icw um was kind of where you got your start when you returned where else did you go you mentioned that you were around the world uh yeah there was the icw uh evolve with gabe sapolsky um, is that yes. is that kind of where you came back to work in the states was evolve yes that's wow. where uh, i won the title off of Chris Hero, Cassie Solano, my first independent match. Uh, Gabe had seen my uh, return to Scotland. He'd heard what I had to say. And, you know, he's a you know, very bright man. He's Paul Heyman's uh, protege, protege. yeah. He uh, used to do the programs when I worked in ECW. Oh, yeah? I remember that, oh, yeah. That's awesome. He would print the programs. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he's seen something uh, in me. And maybe I didn't see as well at the time. And he said, I think I know what you're going for. Uh, I've got an idea to pitch to you. And, you know, he gave me the opportunity to become the face. What did, what did he both. think you were going for? Uh, well, basically, I was looking to get all over the world and grow myself and wrestling as much as possible mm-hmm. and you're part of like wwe it's awesome it's the dream 
but in the end, we're all just a cog in the machine that's going to keep turning if we're there or not. Good point. Uh, my point when I was like talking to Brom was here. I feel like I've got an opportunity to help grow the business I love on the independent level and feel like you know I'm making a difference. So the machine will keep turning without me, mm-hmm. but if I can grow the business, then I feel like I've really achieved something. That was one of the biggest feelings I have right now is I feel like I really left my mark, made a difference, and it was going to keep going with me there or not. So it was time to come back. But going in with Evolve at the start, you know, he saw something in me, gave me the opportunity, gave me the title and said, do what you want. Basically, you know, I, I think I know what you're going for. I believe in you. And I took that title around the world. I defended it around the world, tried to grow the profile of Evolve because the talent were so good, but not many people knew who they were. It was like the Ricochets, the Zach Sabre Juniors, the Timothy Thatchers. Uh, the Roderick, well, people know Roderick Strong for Ring of Honor, but missing out some people, but a lot of talent people didn't know. And I was like, why don't I know about these people? Mm. I don't know that a lot of people don't know. It's my goal to get the eyeballs on them as the face of the company. And that's where I started to learn to, you know, really be a top guy, really be a you know, face of the place, like a franchise player, not just this guy's the champion. Mm-hmm. He just does what we tell him. I really learned how to grow a brand and I did it with the ICW. Did it with the Evolve, um, WCPW in the UK. I was champion with them for a while, and they already had eyes. So I was just trying to get even more eyes on them, and it was really such a big learning experience for me of just how to how to grow a brand. It was really cool because that was the thing about coming to NXT. I remember like thinking, how on earth am I going to grow like somewhere like NXT? This is what I've done sure. everywhere. It's already such an established brand, but that's the brand I wanted to be to show everybody who I am today, what I'm about today, and to challenge myself. Because if I'm going to be a champion, which I am now, it's my goal and it's my job to raise the profile even higher than it's been before. And it's had some amazing champions in the past, some amazing talents on the roster in the past. And I believe right now we have the most depth in the roster there's ever been. And after the takeover there with the storylines going forward, I think we're going to turn more eyes onto NXT than it's ever been on it before. I like, too, what you just said, because it is something that's going on. There's guys making an actual decision. Obviously, the decision was forced upon you. But once it was, you realized you wanted to go out there and help independent wrestling. Because if WWE didn't take you back, guess what? That's that's your future. That's where you're going to be living. Yes. So you help build it. But that's what the Young Bucks are doing. That's what Kenny Omega is doing. That's what guys like Zack Sabre you mentioned or Will Ospreay, guys that are specifically not signing with WWE because they'd rather work on the independent scene. And like like the Bucks and, and Kenny say, they want to change Cody. I mean, leaving WWE to go work on the scene. work around. And the thing that's smart about it is this is how – I got into the business or my little era of guys with Eddie and Benoit and, and Dean and those guys, Mysterio, we worked around the world until we got to WWE. You started at WWE and never got that chance to work around the world. Yes. And neither did Cody and neither did a lot of guys because you come in right away at a younger age. You don't get that experience from a work standpoint and also from a life standpoint, the life experience of what it takes to be on the road and, to appreciate things a little bit more. 100%. I like to become like an adult, I guess. Like you, you, right. grow, you grow up in the, the bubble. And once I stepped out of it, you know, my wife had a lot to do with me, me growing up, I guess, and reminding me, you know, this is not normal. Like I was a bit jaded since yeah, I literally right. um, had grow, grown up in way. the bubble and it was like stepping outside going, oh, this is... But I hate using the term normal people, but people well, outside, of the, we, we, outside of the business yeah. that like doing what consider acceptable and not acceptable. Well, it's funny because I started when I was 19, right? So, and this was not on a major stage like you when you were basically 19, 20, you know, it's the same era, same age area. But I remember, you know, if we had a show like in Winkler, Manitoba, which would be like, you know, I don't know, Aberdeen, Scotland, or even smaller, like it's just a small town show. But that night in Winkler, Manitoba, after the show, hey, come to the, come to the bar. We'll get you in for free. You get drink free drinks. So, you know, 
you're still getting treated like a superstar, even though it's Winkler, Manitoba, but you're different from the rest. And when that gets instilled in you at a 19 years old, 2021, you do kind of think differently from the norm because that's how you grew up. Yeah. You know it what does, I mean? It does feel totally like normal, but yeah, my, as I say, my wife got a huge, huge part, and that she's been a huge part of the whole, you know, creating who I am today and maturity process. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. She's a lot younger than me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh, did you go to Japan at all? I can't remember. I, I didn't. Yeah, that was surprises like, me. Yeah, yeah, that was like the thing we were like trying to um, sort out pretty much like right away. And at the time, there just wasn't, you know, space for for another foreign guy mm. uh, coming in. And also, like, it was a few guys vouching for me. But, again, I wasn't doing something of significance that they might have seen on American television. So I just Good was kind of doing my thing for about five, six months and really getting going, really getting over on an independent level. And uh, it was about that time uh, TNA had contacted me. Uh, John Gaborik Beg had contacted me, and I told him, you know, I'm not looking to be on TV anywhere. I'm doing mm. my thing. It's going really well. I'm making... Like as much as I was making, which is insane to think. Right. And then uh, he would take no for an answer. Uh, mm-hmm. and just told me, just trust me. I'm going to, you know, let you be you and let you do your thing. And also you're going to film multiple months of TV at one time. So it's not going to prevent you doing your schedule and you're going to get paid the same every week for it. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you? So I came in and he stuck to his word and I was literally able to do, you know, the, the TNA show while keeping the schedule I was keeping. And have that exposure, and he stuck to his word times a million. Had a great experience there. I forgot that you were in TNA. Yeah, and also, like when I was signed there, was also, hey, that prevented me also going to Japan. So mm. six months where nothing was available, when something became available, I was with TNA. And by the time I didn't re-sign with TNA, and it was pretty much, you know, the Bucks and I were talking. They were like, we're going to get you in. It's more around about the time where I pretty much agreed and spoke to Hunter that I was coming back. Okay. So timing-wise, it just never worked out. Well, how long were you with TNA for? Uh, almost two years. So that was a good experience. You enjoyed it there. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Who'd you work with there? Uh, God, it seems like just yesterday that you're in here. I for, totally forgot. Uh, I know. Like a quick time passing this job. I remember yeah. asking Glenn, like Kane, once. You know, it's the past twenty years gone by as quick as like my past three years, and he just looked at me. Yes. <laughs> so I tried to enjoy it. Classic Glenn, right? Yeah. Yes. Savor the moments. Yeah. Um, so who are you working with when you? Ah, who was working with? Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of guys, but uh, my favorite was probably Lashley, like Bobby Lashley. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of guys like uh, the Eddie Edwards and EC3s, and like a lot of guys I got great matches with, a lot of fun with. But Lashley was my favorite by far. He's just such, you know, he's evolved so much. If anyone's not seen him since he was in WWE, I strongly recommend checking him out. He's another guy that really kind of came into his own after he left WWE. Oh, yeah. Like he's just confidence is through the roof. He knows what he is, knows. Good promo, too. Yeah, exactly. He's finally the same deal. Relax, know who he is, knows what he has to say. Um, to get across it's just being himself basically mm-hmm. uh, you know whenever I would work with him I would tell him that as well as I don't want you throwing punches at me uh, nothing drives me more crazy when a guy your size who's legitimately beaten everybody in Bellator throws punches and then the bloody guy you're against is just bite- beating you up one second later so if you punch me one time I'm going unconscious mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. we're working together come up with creative ways for you know like to implement you know his you know legitimate fighting style but also he's massive he's bigger than you faster than you going to tap you out like how do you fight a guy like this like all right. i've got is i'm the rugged scott i'm going to fight and we're similar <laughs> kind of sizes even though he's way more lean mm-hmm. than me that's how we'd structure the matches and the one punch like i lost the title to him eventually the one punch he hit was at the very end of the match when he punched me and then choked me out and like uh, it was always fun just coming up with different things with him because it was just nothing better than two big behemoths going at it I and mean, when you've got one of them who is legit and everyone mm-hmm. knows he's legit and you do it the right way you know it's a, it's a spectacle and it's a fun challenge putting it together so i liked with uh, when big show started using the punch for his finish so there's no punches in the whole match other than when he punches you with that 
finishing move. You know what I mean? You have to be creative and think about it because you're right. If a Lashley or a big show, these giant guys with fists the size of my head are going to punch me in the face, I'm just going to go like, okay, hockey fight, boom, 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 boom. It just kills the the, yeah, the story 100%. that you're trying to tell. Such a waste of something, a tool you've got at your disposal. A massive yeah. tool you've got at your disposal, and then you just chuck it away. It so, okay, so, so you were Evolve champion, TNA champion. What else? Uh, I won the, the first ever TNA Impact Grand Champion and the World Champion, the Evolve Champion, the Dragon Gate USA Champion, ICW Champion, WCPW Champion, Danish Champion, German Champion, Australian Champion. <laughs> Some kind of Irish title in there. <laughs> Jeez, dude, calm yeah, down. Yeah, I don't know. At one point, I was just like, Ultimo Dragon, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he had nine belts, right? So what did you say? German champion, Australian champion? Uh, there's a Danish one in Danish. there. Danish. They I didn't even know they had wrestling in Denmark. Nor did I tell one. <laughs> so people just started throwing titles. I, mean, I, I stopped people eventually. I was like, don't give me your title, please. I, there's only so many hours and weeks and months. And <laughs> many, uh, you want to fill your bottle up with that? Oh, um, when, when you go to, let's say, like Denmark or whatever, and I'm sure it's probably not. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it's a, a great place or, or, or maybe it's not. But when, when you're on the independent scene, not all the shows are uh, ICW shows, shall we say, the 8,000-seat arena. So what's your mindset when you go in there to a place that maybe there's only 300 people and it's a community center or something along those lines? Uh, first of all, make sure my opponent can actually wrestle. So oh, yeah. I'm not going to get hurt. Check the ring, secondly. So, so how, do you, how do you judge that when you show up? Do you, have, you, have you done any uh, research on your opponent, or do you just get there and see what he's doing? Yeah, like? it honestly didn't happen very many times. Okay. I was very picky. about where I was fortunate enough to be very picky mm-hmm. about where I worked. So it generally didn't happen. But there was a couple of times in places like that where I did show up and I wasn't familiar with a couple of the guys on the roster. So the first thing to do is check the ring. And then I would speak to my opponent, and I'd speak to a couple of guys on the roster that knew and worked there. So there was always somebody I knew to get the, the feel for it, and I would structure the match accordingly. Mm-hmm. But I would always put together a match where, um, you know, I'd, I'd want people to see and think, wow, I've got to come back here. Like, I'd always work myself sure. just as hard on that small Danish show in front of a couple of hundred people as I would in front of 8,000 people. And that's the goal every time, which is figure out what they can do, what they're capable of, and just work around that to create the best match possible. And even if they can't physically do a lot of stuff, I'll create an illusion like they've just seen the greatest match I've ever seen, which generally included, included a brawl through the crowd, so i cheat a little bit, but <laughs> depending <laughs> on their experience level. But yeah, I would, I would tend to stick away from shows that, you know, where uh, shouldn't have been run in the first place, as far as I'm concerned, because I was very adamant about stamping out the crap in the wrestling, especially in the UK scene. Well, especially for you, because if you're trying to build a name for yourself and you're just showing up randomly everywhere, it's kind of going to take away some of your value and some of your mystique, you know? Yeah. And I do like, like you said, very something very important is, is, is the ring, which if you have, and there's a lot of places. I remember like when I worked in Mexico, you'd show up in some of these like, you know, the old typical boxing ring or even worse, just these oh, crappy. Then AAA at Blanche, those rings suck. Terrible, right? Did you work AAA? Yeah, yeah, I did. So you went to Mexico as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, I was Mexico as well. So they went any titles there, though. <laughs> well, that doesn't count then. But that's what I mean. You show up and things are just shit. And, and that's the key of a good worker. You can't be a mark to go, I got to jump off the roof to get a reaction. Sometimes you show up and it's just, it is what it is. If the, if the ring sucks and the guy sucks, he just shanks, Shakespeare it. Oh, that's yeah. just as much of being a great worker as being able to, you know, do a front flip off the top rope into a body slam, whatever the hell that even means. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. If that, that boxing ring, there was no chance I was taking anything. Right. <laughs> doing anything off the top rope. 
Just like, a mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like figured out like uh, it's like Doctor Wagner and Blue Demon. I just get to know their their shtick and then just play around with that because they're over enough that Wagner's so good too. Oh, so good. I just play off of what they do, and then uh, the couple of guys I didn't know so well, I just try and throw them into the crowd and go yeah, yeah, on them. Yeah. So well, that, yeah, I mean, you're a big dude, so if you don't want to do a high spot, just start brawling. Yeah, so no, I was guaranteed that's going to get a reaction. It means no bumps. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went to Mexico, what did you think of that after never being there before? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'd been there with WWE, obviously, but it's very controlled. Well, it's not, you, it's no, not Lucha Libre, per yeah, se, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I, uh, I remember standing by the curtain. I'm trying to think who I was standing with. But I remember just watching the matches before me. And, you know, I've watched some Lucha Libre, but not that much. But, so I was watching the, the matches before, and my brain was befuddled, like, when it came to the psychology-wise. So I was just trying to figure it out, basically, yes. as I was watching. I remember going back in the day to, like, CMLL with uh, Dorio and I went to Mass on and sat in the crowd. Oh, really? Um, standing there like sore thumbs these two giants with masks on <laughs> Gee, who are those guys yeah <laughs> but uh, so I got a little taste of it but I was actually watching the show that I was on paying attention trying to figure out the crowd and figure out the psychology and I had no idea yeah. I was just I'm just going to have to go off, off of my opponents to because yeah. nothing is the same here and there's obviously a system to it the crowd love it but I don't understand it because it doesn't make sense to me but it doesn't mean it's wrong because the crowd are making the noise they're supposed to make so I'm just yeah. going to have to trust and listen to my opponents in this one you know it's like when Ray was there thankfully he helped me out a lot when in Rome right you just do what gets the reaction exactly. there just I remember Vince when, would say know your audience so I, yeah it's like, totally when I, I remember when I first started going to Mexico and I was still on my way up so I was a little bit more receptive but I remember okay so it's the best two out of three falls and there's three guys on each team and there's a captain on each team, so if the captain gets pinned, the fall is over. But if the other two guys get pinned, then the captain has to get pinned for the fall to be over. It's like, what? And then there's that. Then there's also the referee trying to get himself over. And, oh, and the worst. I'm trying to fight the referee. Like, that was the only thing that annoyed me because I didn't get the referee gimmick, and I kept trying to fight him every two hours. Like, what the <laughs> bloody hell are you doing, mate? I'm going to headbutt you if you get over at every expense. I remember I actually got in a fist fight with a referee in Guadalajara in the dressing room after the show one time. Uh, Just yelling shocking. and screaming. Like, how much he punched me, and I punched him back. I'm like, what am I doing? He's like, Sixty-year-old referee, but he's bowing up. I've and I'm never like, seen you in any situation where you're almost in a fist fight. Twenty-three years old, you know. I'm just <laughs> like fighting a sixty-year-old man because he screwed up the finish. But yeah, I don't know many stories I'm allowed to tell you. But... <laughs> <laughs> you remember an Abu Dhabi incident? Oh, that was great. Yeah, with that guy with the rotten tomato for a nose. Oh yeah, I just remember a guy in the street. It was been a real ass, and you weren't shy to tell him. And he was wasn't shy to tell you back. This is not America. <laughs> he disappeared here, and I was like, okay, let's get Chris. <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. So let's talk about your journey back into the WWE. How long was it um, before you started putting feelers out, or were you always kind of keeping in contact with somebody, or how did that work? Uh, well, I've always yeah, kept in contact with, uh, like, Regal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a, a friend and a mentor of mine, so we always, you know, keep in contact. Show what did he say now. when you got let go? Did you, t- did you reach out to him? Um, well, when we just spoke, and it's just like, just go do your thing, basically. I think that's kind of everyone's attitude was just mm-hmm. go out and show everybody. 
Yeah, no sympathy. Just go out there and keep rolling. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Fett uh, as well. Like he's uh, you know, my mentor, and he just said the same thing. Everybody, Fett's big thing was wherever you go, don't change your style for them. Just be you. Mm-hmm. So as much as I was watching like, the Mexico show, for instance, and seeing the way they were reacting, it doesn't mean I was going to suddenly start doing lucha moves. It was just sure figuring out what the crowd were going for, but I'm still going to be me. Yeah, how, how, the how reason you, they brought me in is the way I work. I'm not going to change that. Yeah, how do you, how do you uh, morph into doing that style, but you're still you? Like I said, uh, that, that's the part of being a good worker is, is, you, is, you, is you're adapting yeah. to, the, to the circumstances surrounding yeah, yeah. you. But you're uh, still- it's basically when you're in there, like, like that's the right. thing as well. Like I was so used to calling far too much because obviously the agents need to know everything. Great point, though. And uh, I was able to, you know, during that period really learn, get comfortable at least. I, I was, was just aware to- how to do it, but get comfortable doing it on, when I'm out there. And it, like even in Mexico, match, even with a language barrier, I was able to figure it out. Even if yeah. it was just me grabbing them and tossing them well, I was like... I know he's doing some mad flippy thing, but unfortunately you're getting grabbed and thrown because <laughs> I know that's the right thing to do. But you know, it's funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's, who just is, she's in Japan for the first time and just loving it because you can't overcall stuff because there's a language barrier. And I find you get a little bit too call happy in the States where every single thing is called. Whereas when you go to other countries where there is a little bit of a language, like you said, you don't call as much, and the matches always turn out better. Oh, 100%. You know? and, and one thing I was going to say, too, it reminds me when, when I was in Mexico, King Haku was there. King Haku's not doing any damn lucha moves, but <laughs> no, he was not. a great, great in Mexico because he did him adapting to the circumstances around him yeah. and with the guys he was working with. 100%. They already got a bunch of guys that do the style perfect. Why you want to try and be exactly the same? Right, exactly. So we're talking about how, how – how, so, so Regal was telling you to be yourself, so you kept in touch with him. Yep, um, and uh, you know, like if I'd done something that you know, I wanted feedback on, like I'd, I'd contact someone like yourself, mm-hmm. like when it came to like promos or whatever, mm-hmm. if it was something I was like, right, you know, that's getting a good response, but like all I'm hearing from everybody is, you know, good, good, great. I was like, you know, in reality, if I was that good or great, I'd be main event mania, so like, <laughs> yeah. areas to be worked on. There's so, always something you can do. Yeah, yeah, so like I'd, I'd you know, I'd contact people with that. I trusted their, their opinion and get that, get that feedback, and I just go out and just keep pushing and doing my thing, and you know, at first when I was here, it was like, I will be back no matter what. But eventually, as I got going, that became, you know, back in my mind. It was just what I'm doing at the moment. Right. And that's what I learned is, you know, the, re- the way you succeed is search, uh, set short-term goals. Achieve those short-term goals with a long-term, I guess, in mind. But just keep pushing and doing what you're doing and don't think about what the next stage is. Because chances are, if you focus solely on the end game, you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the fun part is the journey. But you were enjoying that journey too. Oh, I was loving it. Like I, I, I was the point where I was like, man, I don't even know if I'll, if I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Eventually, like right now, I'm just in a position where I'm growing so many places. I'm in the face of so many places. Felt like they relied on me so much that I wasn't even sure if I was going to, you know, end up back eventually. But as everyone grew and everywhere became self-sustaining, when I, you know, I wasn't there, I didn't feel like, you know, the the weight of the keeping it going was on my shoulders. It's just everything was at the level it needed to be, and whether I'm there or not, it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And then, like timing wise, just with the um, you know the ownership switch in TNA and the way everything went down at the very end, and the contract not being signed, uh, timing was I guess just perfect and worked out the way it was supposed to with me coming into to NXT. Were you renegotiating with TNA at the time? Uh, yeah, my contract was up, and it's just like there was a whole thing. The management switched over, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously it's a very big process and getting management switched over. So the contract negotiations never started till literally the last second. And by the time they contacted me, my wife and I had made a decision that we weren't gonna mm-hmm. weren't gonna stay just because of the the timing of it all. It's just not the way we we do business. It's not like their fault. There was such a big switch in the the management, etc. They had to get their numbers together. But for us, it was just that uh, we can't go in a relationship this way. It was ended on friendly terms. And it was a good experience, and 
Did you um? Did you have a good relationship, a good working relationship with Billy Corgan? Oh, great! He's a friend of mine. I I feel that if Billy would have been able, waiting actually. Oh yeah, yeah nice. he should have. <laughs> I walked in, and I was like, no way. <laughs> I just said to him, hey, if you can make it, cool. And he was sure enough, he was there. I feel that if he would have been able to to take take it over and buy it, that it would be a lot different of a company and more. I don't know, more better is not good English, but I think he was a better choice to be the leader of that company. Yeah, well, we'll never know for sure, but I do know if, if Billy had got it, myself and the Hardys would still be there. Right. Um, there you go. Same but again, more, right? like the way the switchover happened, that um, I, I understand why. They couldn't get the offer there to the last second. And yeah. you know, it was spoke about, and they made like, you know, a big, I just a big think- play at me the last second and lots of offers, very generous offers, and I appreciate that, but it just wasn't the way I, I do business. I like the, the concept of him taking over because it's something different with a, with a new mind and a new thought oh, process. Oh, yeah, he's great. Like, and he yeah, gets I, it. I think that company, with the amount of talent that they did have and still do have, they need to do something different. And Billy might have brought them a different mindset and a different way of thinking. Uh, he only thinks different. That's what's so great about him, why we got along so well. Right, right, exactly, yeah. Fantastic. So, so did you reach out to to, to NXT and Triple H, or did they come to you, or how did um, that? It was, uh, you know, Darren Regal that uh, mm-hmm. messaged me first and just said, you know, hey, Hunter's just want to know what the, the situation is. I guess they'd they're, they'd heard what's been going on, and you're willing to speak to him. I was, oh, of course, <laughs> uh, well, to speak to him, and then you know, like I told my wife, I was like, I don't know, like right now, if this is the right thing. I just talked to the Bucks, and you know, it seemed like Japan was right there on the table, and it seemed like the next logical move. Uh, for me, but once I spoke to Hunter on the phone and I uh, literally went for about 20 25 minutes, I was sold like right away. I was like, This is what I need to do. I told mm-hmm. the wife as soon as I got off the phone, I went, There's no even a second thought now. Mm-hmm. It's time, like, the time is right and it feels right. And I'm the right guy that I need to be um, to do the things that he's gonna, you know, give me the opportunity to do. So it was a decision I'm very glad I made because it's fantastic. Like, since I've came back, you know, the roster's been great, the shows have been great. The vibe's been great, and takeover there was just one of the highlights of my. How long have you been career. back for? Four months. Four months. Yeah, so it feels longer. It's crazy. It's I know, right? Months. But when you left, uh, when you came back, did you have to call like your list of of companies that you were the champ or are the champ? Is going, hey guys, this is the end. Uh, of the oh, man, so, like the day I debuted, it's like, it all been done. Like I'm going back, I'd done the the physicals and that, but they hadn't decided the day I debut. So uh, mania week. Uh, or wrestling week, as I like to call it, is when the, you know all the independent shows have their big shows around Mania. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, and so in my promos, I'd always refer to it, this isn't Mania week, this is wrestling week. Bro. Yeah, that's true. So I was doing a bunch during that, like more than I've ever done in my life. Were you like, were you there working all that? Yeah, time? yeah, I was nonstop all day, every day, pretty much, mm-hmm. um, doing every show possible. And uh, the day uh, of the takeover was the Saturday. That was my busiest day by far. So I had a signing in the morning. Then I had show right after defending the WCPW title. Then I WCPW? Had, yes. Well, where's that? that They're in uh, the UK. Okay. They, they got some really good buzz. They had like Angle over there the regular. Gotcha. Ray over there regular. Uh, you know. Is that the one that's run by what culture? Yes, what okay, culture. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So I was right. champion there uh, for a bit. Uh, again, great place. Had a great mm-hmm. experience there. So I was defending uh, that title on the show around 12. And then I had... Another appearance, then I had a radio interview, then I had uh, the Big Evolve show right after, and getting around in traffic during Mania. I know Orlando's bad enough, never mind during Sure. Mania. So I got called that day, like, okay, tonight's tonight. I was like, what? What do you mean tonight's tonight? <laughs> so we're doing it tonight. They called you that day? So I was contacted that day, like, it's going to happen tonight. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, it was, it was like, all the whole thing was a big, you know, hush-hush. Like, sure. only so many people actually knew I was coming back. 
And, uh, yeah, you know, it was, I guess, got to the right channel that day. Like, okay, this is what's happening. Drew's coming back. Tell Drew. <laughs> so, it's you know, because it was so hush-hush. And the, the last show was with Evolve and Gabe's got a good relationship, you know, obviously with WWE, et cetera. So we knew we could work our way around that. But it was a whole thing trying to sort it out. So I did all the appearances. I did do the, you know, the title defense. I did the radio show. I did the next signing. I did go straight to Evolve. I was in the first segment. The show started late. So I got into the ring about 7.30, did the first segment, cut the big promo about the title match at the end. One of the guys, Keith Lee, who's on fire right now, got carried to the back, ran to my car around about, I don't know what time it was now, just over 8 o'clock anyway, driving like crazy to the Amway. My wife's picked up my suit, driving to meet me at the Amway. <laughs> she jumps in the car, we're in town relations, and by the time I got to TR, jumping in the shower, trying to get myself together, I had like 20 minutes before they needed me to go to the ring. To do... To sit by the ringside where the camera goes in the crowd, Drew McIntyre. Ah. So I'm running like a maniac during that, looking on the camera screen. I'm like, oh, so calm. But <laughs> leading up to that, I'm running like an absolute maniac. The wildest day of my life. I finally get like my suit, everything on. She's bloody putting me together. They come in, we need you now, Drew. They're leading me to the ring. I finally sit down in the seat, which uh, I guess uh, Adam and Beth had been in earlier, like Edge and Beth had been in earlier. So it's true Scottish style. I stole their seats as soon as they left. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting in the seat, and it wasn't until I finally sat in the seat, I had my head down, I looked around and went, oh, man, I've not even thought about this. What if they don't react? <laughs> what if they don't care? <laughs> or what if they chant 3MB or something? Yeah, I never even, yeah, never even years, considered, right? like, yeah, like, what's going to happen here? Like, I know there's a pretty knowledgeable crowd here in NXT. Yeah. You've maybe been following me, but, oh, God. And then it was, like, five seconds later, I was on camera with a smile, and I heard the reaction. I was like, oh, thank God. I made, the right, I made the right move. <laughs> yeah, 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 You know, that's another thing, too. If, if people only, well, that they do know now, like, you're thinking, okay, like, it's a big thing, the debut of Drew McIntyre NXT, but yet, even though you have this really tight, tight day you still have to run and jump in your car oh yeah like it's not like there's a limo waiting for you oh no they didn't send an uber or nothing you got to get in your car and drive to the show oh no it's on video like dave lagana filmed a documentary called end of independence he filmed my last three days oh really if you search uh, on my twitter his twitter end of independence drew galloway uh, the the last three days are there and he didn't know what was going on either so he caught it all on film and he caught the phone call and he caught me running to the car to drive off (laughs) it's all on film (laughs) so you made your you you were shown in the crowd and then who did you make your debut against at NXT? Uh, I made my debut uh, that Wednesday at the NXT TV against Oni Lorcan, who was Biff Busick in the Independency. Mm. Uh, and he's very, you know, hard-hitting physical guy. He was a perfect opponent for me. And we had, you know, a really great first match uh, for me. And I hope we get to we get to do it again uh, with more time. So that was really awesome, that one. And then I had uh, Andrade uh, Cien Omas mm-hmm. in the second one, which was really fun as well. And, uh, so you're building up and working and working. And yeah, working. yeah. As I basically had, you know, a lot of you know showcase matches for me uh, leading up to uh, a match with Killian Dane, who was big demo in the UK. We had big feuds in the in the UK. It's pretty crazy that my He's big, a big big dude, big right? Irish yeah, yeah. guy. <laughs> so it was pretty cool that my uh, you know big win was against him. Like he'd been built up as Sanity's undefeated monster, and mm-hmm. I've been built up as you know returning Drew McIntyre undefeated in NXT, new guy and all that. So it was a big. You know, feel going into the match. It was cool to do it with my friend and get that big win. And then I got the title title shot with Bobby. And Let's talk about that. Jump with the big NXT takeover just this past weekend in Brooklyn. Title yeah. match against Bobby Roode, who's one, another two, three days ago. Four yeah, days yeah. Ago. But Bobby Roode's another guy. For years, he was doing tryouts in WWE, and they would never give him a shot. And I remember the one time. This was gosh, about ten years ago, maybe even more. He's like, yeah. Well, they they said they want me to come back next time with a mask. For a tryout, a mask. but yeah, but no, then we're... TNA called me and I'm like, dude, you got to go to TNA. I mean, if they're telling you to wear a mask after having five tryouts, I mean, dude, you're great. 
just go. And then here goes the TNA, becomes one of the cornerstones, and now bigger than ever in NXT. Oh. Probably making his main roster debut at some point very, very soon, I would assume. Or if not, he's going to be having some great rematches with you. Oh, 100%. He's phenomenal. Um, he was already, you know, like a, a star, like, and he's always been fantastic in the ring. But that, when you got that theme music and you put a few pieces together, the puzzle, now he's a damn superstar. Isn't like, it amazing? It is hard Sometimes to, as a good guy, to wrestle him because they could love that music. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I'm, am I the good guy? Or is he the good guy? Like <laughs> was you, it hard to be the, the good guy in Brooklyn? Do people buy you as the good guy? Yeah, yeah. Like they, they get behind it. You know, it's up to us to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm very physical and like uh, Bobby's willing to, you know, put me over so much. He's so good. Such a good heel. Like the first image of the match is him walking to my chest. So you see the size difference and looking up to me and you, mm. you get that visual um, that people are like, oh, it's about to go down now. So he'd never faced anybody, you know, who was a lot bigger than him and stuff. Sure. So we set the pace, you know, right away and we got the crowd uh, with it. But he's just so unbelievably good. It's just when it comes to the time and things uh, you don't really think about, you're told about over your life. It's the stuff I'm learning with, like Shawn Michaels when I'm working with him right now that like, I've never been verbalized to me in the way that Shawn Michaels verbalizes it to me. You always hear listen to the crowd, but no one elaborates and listen to the crowd. So I got it in my head as I listen to the crowd. I'm good at listening to the crowd, but when someone that experience breaks it down to you in the levels and layers of listening to the crowd, you get it and you get timing better and you really, you know, I'm getting my PhD in right. Bobby is a master of, you know, timing and things that I never thought about that a top, top guy needs. So tell me about that. You mentioned that that you're working with Sean, because uh, Sean is training now at the at the performance center, right? Like on a fairly full time basis. Yeah, I'm gonna like, go see him right after. Right after, after this, finish, yeah, yeah. Like in minutes, you're gonna go because I know he lives in Florida now, <laughs> and he's working at the performance center. I assume he's not in the ring taking bumps. So tell me what exactly do you sit down with him in a room, or, or do you go in the ring, or how does that work when you're working with Sean? Um, it's like you know a finishing skill. The first rule of the Sean Class, you don't talk about Sean Class, so I can give, I'll give the basics and I'll tell you about it all. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, that's what it says. You don't talk about it, so I'll tell you all the rest off the air. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like a, like finishing school. The like guys have been doing it for, for a while, um, and we kind of they sit down and you know just kind of talk about it. It's a back and forth as well. Like he's not just saying this is the right way, even mm-hmm. though he's like the best in ring performer like ever. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very open and um, likes to, you know, have a back and forth and just, like I say, breaks down things like you've never even considered thinking about before. Like, I was lucky enough, the deal I signed, I didn't technically have to go to the Performance Center, but when I heard Sean was doing classes, I was like, uh, excuse me, can I go work with Sean Michaels? <laughs> and then, I know uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn wanted to go back to NXT yeah. just so they could work I remember when I heard he was coming in before I signed, I was like, man, I was any way I can finish my way into that class, even though I'm not with WWE right now. Because yeah. at one point, Terry Taylor was kind of, and he might still be. Yeah, yeah, he's still Terry there. Terry was like one of the finishing clash guys. And so this is for 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 the guys that are either very experienced or just about ready to go to the main yeah, roster. Yeah, this is like the, yeah, this the last, is the last finishing class. stage there, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, like I say, the only way to describe it is that most of us in there have been wrestling a long time. Like I've been doing it for 17 years now since I was 15. And, uh, yeah, it's like getting my PhD. It's like, right. oh, all these things I think I know, this has been broken down. This makes so much more sense to me mm-hmm. now. Now, like, you're just listening to the, the crowd more is the biggest thing, but, like, actually breaking everything down and, you know, making things psychology-wise make sense and tell the right story and just just everything. You know, Obviously, it sounds redundant, but Sean Michaels is pretty good. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> but like you know, this is what I you know I can say this because I learned this 
kind of on the job PhD with Sean. Oh, 100 percent. You guys. Well, yeah. I mean, one of my best runs, 2008, suit and tie guy, Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. And he's the one that basically made that character into what it was. But what I learned from him amongst a thousand other things, I think we learned from each other, too. But the thing that I learned from him the most is I remember one time we were having a match. I think it was in Chile. Chile. And uh, we had we were doing the false finishes. And to me, up to that point, false finishes was you had to build the crowd and keep them hot and keep them rolling and keep them going. So we would do stuff, and I would always be up before him. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I don't want you to move until I say, just, just trust me. I'm like, dude, Shawn Michaels, I'll do whatever the hell you want. So we did some kind of a move and just were there, and it was a big false finish reaction, and then the crowd started going down. He's like, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. Then they went completely quiet. Then – they started yelling, you know, chanting, you know, whatever the version of This Is Awesome was in 2008. And then they built themselves up again and then built themselves up again. He's like, you know, you don't have to always worry about having, like, listen to the crowd, but let them settle. Don't always feel into the next thing. That's not what we're doing here. We have to sell every single move, which in turn brings the crowd in even more so. If we're just bouncing around, bouncing around, it doesn't work. And I just, like, I don't know if I explained that well, but I'll never forget that, like, Wow, what a easy thing, but it had never been explained to me before. Yeah, no, you know, I'm not going to reveal Sean class, but that's maybe some things we maybe talk about. Exactly, I, mean, I just revealed <laughs> it, and I'm sure that's something that was spoke about because Sean. Uh, told yeah, me like you say, like lie there, it's explained a certain way. Right, it's just like listen to the crowd. Oh, it seems so obvious now, but yeah. it's not until somebody explains it that way. Yeah, exactly. It just makes you like. I always learn to even from Negro Casas in Mexico. It's listen. All of us can do the moves, or most of the moves. That's fine. You put them in the right place, whatever. It's the little nuances that make a great worker. 100%. You know what I mean? And that's one thing that's really good when you can start to feel that. Oh, yeah. And that makes a difference like, when you're really feeling it, you know, in the match mm-hmm. rather than, you know, just going through the moves and, like, getting the standard, this is awesome, and planning your match, like, and we'll get to this is awesome here, and then we'll do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When you're, like, feeling it and selling, and you're in the moment, and you're organically getting these reactions that are not entertaining themselves with silly chants or whatever because you're doing it the right way, and you're feeling it, so they're feeling it. And right. That was a big thing at the, the match there at the takeover when we got to the near fall areas, and I was really just taking the time and really listening, even though it was such a big setting and the referee was right in my ear reminding me that we had no freaking time left <laughs> that i was just like uh-uh, i'm taking my time we're making this count we're getting them built back up and listening to them coming up like you say it was a really cool feeling especially on the biggest stage there's certain matches that are the money matches rock and i used to talk about this you know go home go home go home it's a championship match if i take an extra five minutes and you know one of the other matches has to lose five minutes that's fine when it's my turn to be in like one of the earlier matches you need extra time for the main event. I know you guys are on last, but that's the money match. And I never have a problem taking my time if it's a money match. 100%. You know what I mean? What did it feel like when you won that title? Oh, it was. Uh, I guess there's pictures out there of me holding it. Like, I think my, my face says exactly how I was feeling. Like, uh, once the, the three count happened, and, you know, Bobby put me over like 10 million bucks. Um, I just had to take a second to just compose myself, and then once I got it in my hand, just let everything sink in, it became real. So it was, everything felt worth it, all the miles, all the you know, beating you mm. know, myself up physically and mentally, and pushing and pushing, trying to create something, all just felt worth it in that moment. And um, just when I got, you know, the, you know, got it all out, um, the big angle happened with Cole at the end, which was cool as well, like Adam Cole, uh, jumped me at the end and right. said that, 
the crowd through the roof and just left us with that awesome cliffhanger. And this is the next stage. It's like a WrestleMania hit the reset button. Boom. Sure. And Cole the was a big surprise. Yeah. So the two lads, uh, Riley, show up again. They beat the sanity up earlier. What are they doing here? And then boom, Cole from behind. And we left them with that big cliffhanger. And this is, you know, NXT going forward. It was pretty cool. And I was like loving it. I was lying there like, man, this is going to be cool. Like we've got something cool going forward here. Last few questions. What's your uh, what's your plan now that you you know you're back in NXT? You're the champion, like you said. You got a great feud coming up. Do you still have? Uh, is your final goal still main roster WWE? I, I mean, I always say I don't consider you know NXT NXT not one of well, sure. the equal equal brands. It's obviously not got a platform, etc. But I always tell the guys, etc. Don't use the words moving up. Like, of course, <laughs> you're going to think what you think off camera and off interviews, and that's cool. But when you're out there, you represent your brand. You push your brand. It's all about NXT. When you get the opportunity, you'll go there. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm going to do as much like I did in the you know independent UK scene. I felt like I did as much as I was going to do up to that point. It was time to come back. Right, just take NXT as far as I can possibly take it, uh, get a reign, you know, that can compare to the champions of the past and surpass the champions of the past because there's some unbelievable champions that have been there. Mm-hmm. And just focus on that right now. When the time comes, um, then obviously and I'm going to want to make my mark on SmackDown and Raw also and perhaps sealed on Vincent Man himself and tell him, ah, you were right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> just had to put those pieces together you saw. In Is that what he told day. you? You have to put so, pieces together? No, well, uh, again, like for me, that's what it was. He obviously saw something in me back in the day that maybe I didn't see or others right. didn't see. And it took me a minute to, to put the pieces together. But he doesn't just say things for the sake of saying it. <laughs> Never. He saw something, and it's pretty cool that you know, I had to find myself and you know, and you work did. hard to just put together, I guess, what he saw. Have you seen him since you've been back yet? I haven't yet. Okay, yeah. Um, so the time, time still come. I've still got some work to do. Just to yeah, but you're doing actually it. see him. But yeah, so right now the goal is just work, work, work. And, and, then, and that's what you've been doing. That's what you're going to do. Last question. What was your favorite match that you had over the last three years Besides the Bobby Roode, I'm, I want to talk about something that maybe was in England or in the UK or one of the independent scene. Was the one that stands out for you? It's hard to, to single single matches out. Um, ICW, I really enjoyed the match with uh, Grado where I lost the, the ICW title. That was like our first like you know, super big one. It was 4,000 people mm. uh, we got where I was going to as the bad guy against uh, Grado, the only white meat baby face left in the world. <laughs> yeah, people love him, right? Yeah, they love yeah. him. Uh, so that was cool. In my own country, I was at the arch. Yeah, you know, nemesis of Scotland, <laughs> my funny American Scottish, too, right? Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so he's a big Scottish hero. Would you say with your funny what? My funny Scottish American accent <laughs> that they keep making fun of. <laughs> I need to talk like this. I'm sorry, Scotland. So I need the world to understand me. We have a very thick accent. <laughs> I need to be understood. Uh, so that was like a cool one. And uh, there's one with Will Osprey. Everyone always, you know, refers to that we had in WCPW before. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before I came back, actually, and Ricochet as well. Like those guys, like the ones that everyone says, oh, they don't do anything, they just fly. That's lies. They know exactly yeah. what they're doing. They can tell a story. And those are a couple of my favorite matches as well. Great. We'll see you uh, hopefully less than three years when you're the WWE champion at some point. Yes. I'm sure. Yes, Thanks, 100%. dude. Thank you for having me again, Chris. Good to be back. Congrats again to NXT champion Drew McIntyre. And it looks like he's got another angle coming up with Adam Cole in NXT. Adam Cole attacked him ruthlessly after the match. I'm guessing it won't be long before you see Drew on the WWE main roster. He's killing it. He's got all the tools. He's got the look. He's got the size. He's got the psychology, of you, as you heard. Thanks to Drew for coming back. And all right, get your laugh on now. If you want to laugh, you like laughing, we're going to get your laugh on right now with all the news you do not need to know from Team Tiger Awesome. Let's check them out now. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. 
In business news, somebody at the office brings their own matches to the men's room. Several employees have noticed the distinct smell of a match in the bathroom in spite of the fact there are no matchbooks readily available to the rest of the office. Currently, the smart money says it's Jeff. In speculative near-future post-existential science fiction news, it's not next year yet, but what if it was? What then? What would we do then? And now, a look at the index finger index. Pointing up slides down to number five. Where number one is number four. The index middle ring combo is three. The Dikembe Mutombo jumps to number two. And finger guns, still the coolest. For more stupid news, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday on the Jericho Network, right here on Podcast One. Go subscribe to the Team Tiger Awesome Show at Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave them a five-star rating and review as well. As a matter of fact, go check out all the podcasts on the Jericho Network. Give them five-star ratings and reviews at Apple Podcasts. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus, a PhD in wrestling uh, uh, psychology. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch has uh, his Guns N' Roses month continues. Uh, The Raven Effect. Raven is talking about... All of the things in ECW that made him as popular as he was. The flagship show, Keeping It 100 with Conan. All the ridiculosity that Conan talks about. And five days a week, Beyond the Darkness. Get your paranormal fix uh, and check it out as they scare the pants off you five days a week. And thank you. Thank you to all the Talkers Jericho. Amazing sponsors. And thanks to you for supporting them. I'm talking about A&E. Watch season two of A&E's groundbreaking docuseries, Leah Remini's Scientology and the Aftermath. New episodes every Tuesday at 9 Eastern, 8 Central on A&E. DDP Yoga, get 20% off the DDP Yoga app and all merchandise at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Thanks to True Car, saves you money, saves you time. The best way to buy a new car, ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Jericho to post your first job for free. Go do it now. Get the employee you need. ZipRecruiter.com slash Jericho. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And coming up next Wednesday, Oh, wow. Who we got next Wednesday? I'm checking it out right here. On, uh, oh, wow. The most controversial women's wrestler in the world today. Recently stripped of the AAA Women's Champion, Taya Valkyrie, is here to talk about the whole story. Why she was stripped of the title. What's going on with her? She is here and she's not happy. She's ready to tell all on Talk is Jericho. Great, great times. We're so excited to have you. We're so excited to have you listening. In the meantime, and in between time, we'll see you next week. But till then, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy. We'll see you on Talk is Jericho next week. Listen to new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday on the Podcast One app. Or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.